0: All right, part seven. Do you guys need to stand up and stretch for a few minutes? Are we okay to just dive in or jump in? Okay, we're going to jump in. All right, thank you for that authoritative word. Okay, uh, we're going to we're going to jump right in. Now, if you're here at announcement time, I I don't have to do any kind of introduction because Matt, you did an excellent summary of the whole seven weeks, and here we are. So here are the very very last one of what we've been talking about. Over the last seven, six, seven weeks. Now, I, I, I want to mention one thing. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you homework. I don't know if anybody... Does anybody remember the homework we gave out for people? Yeah? Um, I, I I meant to mention it last week. Um, but but two weeks ago, we gave you homework. We said, for the people that you care about, we naturally just end conversations with, I love you. Right? We we, we normally say that. We don't want the kids to call home. We always just... Uh, You know, end the conversation with I love you. But we challenge you and we said, begin your conversations with I love you. Don't end the conversation. And there are a number. It's been really neat. Um, uh, It's times that I wish I could tell everybody openly what what the response has been. But these are moments where I have to kind of be very careful. But a number of you have told me that it's really made a tremendous difference. that, That when you start a conversation with I love you. That just frames everything in a dramatically different way. And it and it's sort of initiates conversations and, and an interaction that you don't normally get. So thank you very much for those of you that were, that were a part of that. Um, now, I want to do something uh, we don't normally do when we finish a, a, a seven-week series. I want to review the last six weeks before we actually dive into this week. Okay? So... Um, As as Matt said, we talk about these pieces. We talk, I think, I think for many of us through the course of our lives, at some point, we may not frame everything this way, but we ask things. uh, We ask these basic questions about our own lives. Okay. so uh, what I what I what I wanted to do is 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 just put it in a very basic question. Week one, we we sort of said a very best basic question. Week two, we said a very basic question. And I want to I want to just uh, review those. Because um, I think it's going to be really important for us as we come into this week's uh, final message about the larger landscape. The very first week, we asked the question of puzzle piece number one is, who am I? Okay, who am I? We said that the culture around around us, the, the, the forces of the culture and the voices of the people close to us are always trying to define who we are. Right. And if you don't know who you are in terms of the biblical picture that you are made in God's image, your life will be directed, driven, and and you'll be identified the way the culture wants to identify you and the way the negative voices in your life especially want to identify you. So that's a really important thing because we said that who you believe you are will eventually affect Who you will become. Who you believe you are will eventually affect who you will become. And you see this all the time. Okay. Puzzle piece number two. Why am I here? Right. At some point, we ask that question in a number of different ways. Uh, How do we discern our our purpose for existence? What God's will is for our lives? And we talked about this, this complicated thing uh, that we, that we talk about when it comes to God's will. Is there a greater purpose for our existence? A greater understanding of what it is? Um, because, um, we said that our lives are often, not often, our lives are a sum total of the decisions that we have made so far. Whether it comes to your relationships, your education, um, uh, your work, right? Your lives become the sum total of the decisions that you have made so far, so if you're able to discern God's will, discern God's purpose for your life, you are going to make decisions that are dramatically different. Okay, you guys tracking with me? All right, I know it's a long weekend. Okay, okay, here we go. Um, in fact, we said uh, we said we're we're often more generated by understanding God's will for our lives as opposed to. Right. Living the life that God wants for us. OK, that, that whole purpose thing um, or God's willingness for our life. Because we said at that point, we, we said at that point the for every single individual, God's will for your life is to become more like Jesus. Everything else follows from that. All right. Puzzle piece number three. And I put this in a really crude way. What am I? Okay, and and we're talking about how how's you know another way to say it is how has God shaped me? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my passions? What are the things you know? We talked in in that week about spiritual gifts and and how it flows out of uh, who God has made us to be, and and we we talked about how for some people you can put them in a in a room full of children and it's just chaos, and another and a, a totally different person will walk into that room and it'll be just heaven on earth and you wonder what did they do what was the difference right you know we're all we're all built differently and we talked about your spiritual gift is what you do for christ your passion is where you do it and your personality is how you do it okay those are the distinctions we made at that message okay that's puzzle piece number three puzzle piece number four how do i connect with others Okay, the whole structure of creation is interdependency. It's built on relationships. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to go it solo. We're not meant to be so individual that we're outside of a community, that we're meant to relate to each other. We're meant to be in that kind of relational bond. Right. Um, And we talked about things like uh, hospitality, encouragement, grace. Um, you know, topics like that that, that, that are instinctively part of the scriptures and instinctively part of what it means to build community so that we encourage each other together, okay? Very, very important. And, and, and one of the saddest things, one of the saddest things uh, in our culture, in our society, in the world that we live in, that people are alone. Okay? Loneliness is a horrible, horrible thing. Puzzle piece number five. Where do I look for instruction? Uh, this is the week that Matt covered really, really well. Um, the, the, the fact that God has given us an instruction manual. God has given us truth. Uh, the incarnation of Jesus is 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 the face of God in reality, and uh, Jesus directed us to the nature and, the, and 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 the characteristics of the Father. Okay, because because um, Matt. If, Stressed if, if our idea of God is radically false, if our idea of Jesus is radically false, the more devote we are to that falseness, the worse it's going to be for us. That is why the Bible is so clear in terms of the characteristics and the nature of God and also identifies our characteristics and our own nature as well. Very, 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 very important. Puzzle piece number six. I actually, I should have done the test, eh? If anybody, no. Um, well, puzzle piece number six is we talked about faith. Okay, what do you believe? Faith is such an important component to, to life. I, it, it's so distressing to me that faith is so ridiculed today. And yet it's such an important component to life. Faith is so... So important. And we use that wonderful phrase from uh, Thomas Aquinas, who said to the one who has faith, no explanation is necessary to the one who doesn't have faith. No explanation is possible. Okay, and we said that your faith, the value of your faith is often directly related to the object of faith, whatever it is that you have belief in. If you have belief in. Uh, in human endeavor, in human endeavor alone, then the value of your faith is directly related to the strength and weaknesses of that human endeavor. Period. Do you want to have faith in something greater than yourself? If you if you believe in something, if you believe in something that cannot save you, what good is that faith? So the object of faith is very, very, very. Very important. And this question is so important to God that he gave his son to die for you. Because if there's one thing that the Bible states really clearly that you cannot play games with, that you cannot reinterpret, is that if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to give to heaven, there's only one way and one way alone. We can do all kinds of dances in terms of how we have church, when we have church, the time we have church, you know, all, all the all, configurations, how faith, number of times we do communion. But we can't have any doubt as to what the road to heaven is paved with. That's the blood of Christ. Okay? So that's why the object of faith is really, really important. All right. Now, today, today, the puzzle piece number seven, where can I grow? OK, if, if, if you're going to talk about all these things, where's the laboratory? If you want to talk in those terms about all of these things and where we can investigate and, and, and look at all of these things, um, we're looking at the church today. All right. And hopefully today, as we look at a particular passage where Jesus mentions the church in it, in, you know, directly with the disciples there. I'm hoping that uh, we get to put together um, some key things about the church that uh, hopefully you haven't thought of. All right. We're going to look at Matthew 16 verses 13 to 19. Many of you are familiar with him. It's a it's a it's a wonderful passage. Um, it's not about Catholicism. All right. No offense, but but Peter, as the first pope, okay, this is, this is the passage that uh, that every that that they believe is is the is the passage that talks about the first pope. But um, here's here's the passage. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his his disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" And that's Jesus' self-identification of himself as the Son of Man, okay. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon John, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Great passage, right? Um, I think there's some. Great details that come out of this passage uh, for, for our interest. Now, it's not insignificant that the passage opens up with with the fact that they're walking into Caesarea Philippi. Okay, this is an area uh, in the in the Middle East that is uh, uh, very strongly Roman. It's away from Jerusalem, very strongly Roman, and it has all the best that the Roman Empire. Has The temples to nature, the temple to Pan, the temple to the emperors. It has everything that, that, the, that the wealth and glory of Rome can, can demonstrate in this city. You know, if, 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 if you get somebody, if you get Steve Jobs from Apple and they're going to do a big announcement, right? It's very, very contrived where they make that announcement. When the president of the United States wants to make a significant announcement, they stage the whole thing. Right. I happen to believe that Jesus is intentionally sta- staging his next comments. He's come to a place, a place that is so, so you know, full of the very best of humanity. A region that just talks about the splendor and the glory of the Roman Empire. And he walks into this region and he starts a conversation with his disciples that leads to the kingdom that he is going to build That is totally contrary to the kingdom that they're standing in the middle of. Okay, so it's not insignificant that this is happening, that Jesus is doing this. Um, It's a very public place. It's in the midst, as I've said, of, of everything that demonstrates the glory and the power of humanity. And it's very interesting that if you could just transport yourself there, the disciples have watched Jesus do some pretty miraculous things. He's been an incredible teacher of authority. But what he proclaims now is something so beyond them that he's going to build a kingdom that is going to rival the kingdom of the world at the moment. Now, I don't know about you, but for the disciples, that must have been something very difficult to hear of what was coming next. And I think there's some very powerful truths about the ecclesia or the church that Jesus mentions in this passage that we want to build on, especially as it relates to us today. Here's the very first thing that I think we we have to talk about, that the church is a non-negotiable. Okay. now, I'm not everybody's going to say everybody's going to say, wait a minute, we're talking about the universal church. Once you become a believer, you're adopted into the universal church. And I say, no, I think that's short sighted. We're talking about the individual local community of believers who gather together in a region. The local body of the church is a non-negotiable. Some of you may be really bugged to know that. Many of us have people who say, I love Jesus or I have faith, but I don't need the church. That's incredibly short sighted. Okay? The church is a non-negotiable. The church is part of the kingdom of God. The church is part of what Jesus came to bring to the world. Often we talk about the salvation that Jesus brought. We often talk in terms of Jesus came to uh, save us and to redeem us and to get us back into a relationship with God. That may be the first gift that Jesus brought. But the second gift that Jesus brought was the church. The church is just as much a part of God's plan as much as salvation was. The church is a non-negotiable. For Jesus, the, the body of believers to collect together, to worship, to commune together, to grow together, to be in fellowship together, to give together, to carry each other's burdens together, to encourage each other. Those things do not happen in isolation. They have to happen together. The church is a non-negotiable. It's a part of what Jesus intended on the cross to bring to the world. Because the church is a body of believers gathering together, proclaim the message of what Jesus has brought to the rest of the world. So the church is a non-negotiable. It's, it's part of the plan. As much as we might get frustrated with the church, as much as we might get angry with the church, as much as we are hurt with the church, that's why, by the way, that is why God allows so many different individualistic exp- expressions of the church. So you can find a place to connect. So you can find a place to serve. So you can find a place. Okay? The church is such an important part of the whole plan. We can't ignore it. It's a non-negotiable. Right? Number two, the church is about Jesus, not you. Or not me. Or not any other individual, right? The church is about Jesus. I'm really fascinated when Jesus says, what are people saying about me? And the disciples are, are giving him all the, you know, the, the rumors. And in fact, they're doing the positive side of the rumors because they don't say, well, the Pharisees say you're a glutton. The Pharisees say that you hang around with prostitutes, that you know, they're worried about you. right? It's, instead, they give it the positive spin. spin and they say you're one of the prophets. But it's very, very important that Jesus stops them and say, wait a minute, who do you say that I am? You see, if the disciples are going to carry on the mission after Jesus goes, if the disciples are going to be the ones who, you know, are the are the foundational building blocks of the church and all that that's going to represent for centuries, they better be very, 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 very clear who Jesus is. They better be very clear that it's Jesus's church, not theirs. They better be very clear that the church gathers together in his name, not ours. And that and that. In our culture-driven society of, of, of consumerism, right? We want to shop for church. We want church to satisfy our needs. We want church to be able to recognize what we do for the church. And I know that's, you know, I know that's a touchy subject. All right, but we have to we have to be very very careful. The church is Jesus' is Jesus's church, not ours. Okay. You know i had a i had a I had a I had a couple come to me once and uh, they wrote down a number figure and and they slid the you know the number in front of me and it was a thousand over a thousand dollars and they said to me, "We will give this to the church every month if you if you Do this style of music only. Remember that? (laughs) We enjoyed that money for a while. I mean, (laughs) it's like there's the door. Okay, it's Jesus's church, not ours. Okay, Jesus wants the disciples to be very, very clear of that. Says, who do you say I am? And it's wonderful the proclamation that Peter makes that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Messiah has a lot of implications here. Big implications that the savior of the world world coming out of Isaiah 52, 53, that he is the suffering servant, the land that is going to take all the penalty of sin upon himself, redeem the whole world, becomes something far greater than just a localized band of people doing what they want to do on their own. Far greater than any social movement, a transformational movement that's going to that could change the world. If they're clear about whose mission they're on. All right. Um, And and, and, and honestly, Peter's confessional here is the confessional of the church. That you're the son of the living God. Okay. Uh, the next one, the church, you cannot grow without it. If you're a believer, if, if, if you're a, 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 a person who claims faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot grow outside the church. Sure, you can make some progress. You're going to be able to get some things right. You're going to be able to um, be able to enjoy um, maybe academic and intellectual exercise and all that stuff. But the person who bothers you right next to you is the very person that God meant for you to be in a relationship with. So he could do something in your life that you would otherwise not have happen to you because you're not here. Conflict is part of growth, right? <laughs> I didn't mean to say right beside you. It was kind of a, you know, it was kind of a, <laughs> right? Not exactly beside you. Everybody's looking at everybody else going, okay? <laughs> right? Okay. But you can't grow with, 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 without it, right? You can't. You, 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 you can't. You, you can't do that. We, we talked you know, a few weeks ago about being in relationship. All of the stuff that we get frustrated with church are, are often the very things that God is using you to grow you in a way that no other experience will probably be, allow, be allowable. Okay? We may have dysfunctional families at home. We might have dysfunctional families as a church. But it's all part of the growth. Okay? But you can't grow the way God intends you to without it. When you, you know, I'll tell you, when we gather together, we may be upset about something in the church. But when we gather together and the worship comes and we begin to sing together and we begin to lift up our voices together and we begin to acknowledge who Jesus is, you're not going to find any other context that you're going to do that with a group of people of this, you know, of this size. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. And by the way, that the forces of hell or, or in the actual Greek, it is Hades. I would argue talking about death itself, that death itself is not going to be able to stop the advancement of the church because the church is the place of resurrection, the place of incarnation It doesn't mean that conflict, for instance, is absent in the church. It means that reconciliation is evident in the church. Very, very important distinction. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, about how much it makes a difference. This last one. The church is a place of magnification. Now, I need to explain that, obviously. Obviously. Church is a place of magnification and it's part of what I see is happening at the very end of this. Here's here's what happens in churches. Often we get so sidetracked with Jesus as the central as the central uh, a part of what we are as a church. That sometimes we forget what we're called to be and do. That sometimes we forget the mission of the church and we get so humanly driven that it's the humanness and the sinfulness of our humanness that is, becomes magnified in the church. The church is a place of magnification that whatever we're struggling with, with becomes multiplied and magnified beyond these walls. Okay? If Jesus is the central part of what we do here, he becomes magnified in light of our human weaknesses. You guys tracking with me on that? You guys getting that at all? No, you're not. Okay. Here we are. Here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to illustrate it. I'm going to try and illustrate it this way. All right? Um, here's, a, here's a blog from Stephen Furtick, and I, and I was really interested in this, and this is kind of where I got this idea from, because I think he's very, very right. He says that when he was in high school, he, he was a wrestler. OK, and one of the techniques when you're wrestling, and if you've taken any kind of martial arts, you, you know that you use your opponent's right weakness against them. OK, if they leave one arm exposed when you're wrestling, you use that arm right to the to the most of their of, of your advantage. Right. If they come with you full force, you use the weight of their force. Right. You know, to to use against them. Okay. well, it's true that that principle is true in spirituality as well. Very true in spirituality. Right. That's the same kind of technique that we use in our lives. Right. Um, God is often calling us to use what we have for his honor and for his glory. Often we take what we have and see them purely as human weaknesses and we don't see them as opportunities to do something significant for God. In fact, we want to say, why me? Where me? How come someone else? All of that kind of stuff. Look at the Apostle Paul. And this is the example that he uses. When the Apostle Paul was in jail, what did he do? He converted the guards. Right. And he wrote letters of joy to, you know, uh, Philippians, for instance, while he was in jail. And by the way, starting September 11th, we're doing a 10 part series on Philippians. Okay, so just just to keep you ahead of the loop. Right. You know, he said, if they execute me, it's going to be a gain for me because I will be in heaven. That's what he said. And then he said if and then he said, if they're going to keep me alive then I get to preach the gospel even more. When he was given this thorn in the flesh, he said, hey, that's an opportunity in my weakness to glorify God and to show his strength through me. That's why Paul was probably the the freest, the most powerful man at the time. Because he took those situations and circumstances and he transformed them in a dramatic way for God's honor and for God's glory. And there isn't a single situation in your life, no matter what you feel about it, that God couldn't use for His glory. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're facing adversity, then it's it's an opportunity. For God to show his faithfulness. If you're facing time of financial scarcity, you can use it to display God's sufficiency. If you failed and you feel that you're a failure, show, you know, there's an opportunity to show what you can learn from it that God can teach you. To so dramatically... We, We do that in our lives. My argument is when we do that collectively as a church, what a difference it makes. That the church is a place of magnification. That when we collectively gather and our hearts and our spirits are in tune with the spirit of God, we're acknowledging Jesus, that we're worshiping Jesus, that that supersedes all of the struggles that we have, that gets magnified. And suddenly the things that we're struggling with end up having a perspective on them that we don't normally have because we're not in that place saying, woe is me all the time. We live in a more joyful state. We live in a more biblical state. We live in a way where we acknowledge the sufficiency and the grace and the mercy and the compassionate nature of God in each of our lives, regardless of what it is that we're going through. That's a different place to be. But if all that we're doing is as a a body of believers arguing about this or fighting about that or changing this or color that or blah, blah, you know, what do you think gets magnified to everybody else around us? You guys getting that? That's a big, you know? And I think much in the way Jesus ends this with what he entrusts to the disciples, I think that's what he's talking about. That the very keys of heaven are given them to proclaim who Jesus is. Okay? That's the difference of what the church... I want to let me let me just close with this little this little ditty Um, between live and dead churches. All right. This is a big this is a big piece of the puzzle, right? This is a big piece, this final larger landscape puzzle, because the church is in many ways the laboratory of life where all these questions that we've talked about are allowed to be played out and lived out examined demonstrated and displayed okay live churches are constantly changing dead churches don't have to live churches have lots of noisy kids dead churches yeah. yeah amen come on you got to say amen to that amen yeah yeah dead churches are fairly quiet Live churches are constantly improving for the future. Dead churches worship their past. Live churches move out in faith. Dead churches operate totally by human sight. Live churches focus on people. Dead churches focus on programs. Live churches are filled with givers. Dead churches are filled with tippers. That's a good one. (laughs) Live churches dream great dreams for God. Dead churches relive nightmares. Live churches don't have can't in their dictionary. Dead churches have nothing but. Live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. What would you rather be? Uh, yeah 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 <laughs> oh come on help me out here yeah. <laughs> you know what would you what would you yeah what would you rather be right and this is what jesus is talking about something far and away greater than than i think what a lot of a lot of us have done with this passage and we've made it denominationally we've made it you know a, a whatever okay Jesus is talking about a movement of the heart of a people, of an energy that, that, that is motivated by recognizing the Messiah and the difference it will make in the world because of this group of people called the ecclesia. And by the way, Jesus is using an intentional word because in that culture, the Ekklesia, we're, we're people were using that word all over the place. We kind of think that that's an exclusive word, but but even in the Greek culture, in a particular city, they would they would take a, a important people or people through out the whole uh, a city and, 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 and take a ratio like 10 percent and say, guess what? You're an ecclesia and you're going to be able to judge now all of the affairs of the city for the next six months. You're a very important group of people that you're set apart to do this kind of a very important work. OK, and Jesus is intentionally using that. That there's a called people set apart to do something unique to the world in a message that's really important. And, and you know, we're all part of it, right? We're all part of this church, this, this laboratory where we get to grow and we get to experience all these questions in a really powerful way. Okay? So, are you going to be at church next Sunday? <laughs> the church is a non-negotiable is a non-negotiable don't let anybody tell you any different i wanted to give you homework this week you already you already got homework yeah yeah yeah, but I, but, I, but I'm but i not because I thought it would be kind of like forcing you to do something maybe that might be a little bit uncomfortable for you. But, but take a moment, take a moment to look at the New Testament if you get a chance this week as part of your personal devotions. And look at how important the local church is. So important. We want to talk about the, you know, the universal ethereal church out there and all these souls that ruminate and they ever... And all that kind of stuff, and we're okay with that, right? But this this building, these people, all of us here, that's part of God's plan. As much as we want to say, oh, it's all about the people, but what we do here is very important. What we do here Sunday mornings is very important. Don't let anybody say it's inconsequential. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. As always, your word is challenging. As always, we find Jesus take an opportunity to, to teach a profound lesson in a context that we wouldn't at first see as significant. But Lord, how much we like to minimize the effectiveness or the reality of the church there are so many people who are even advocating today that the church is only good when it moves out but that was never Jesus' sole intent there was as much value for the people of God gathering together as there were in the people of God moving out it's not uh, one or the other it's both and So, Lord, as we conclude this series and look at the larger landscape, as it were, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the wonderful blessing. We thank you for the change and the difference it's made in in our culture and our community. And, Lord, may we strive to build a great community of faith rooted in the great profession of Peter, that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we thank you that we can exalt you today in Jesus name. Amen.